Well, Roy Regals is a name you've probably never heard, but he was a member of the University of California football team that played Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl in 1929. And in the middle of a rather complicated and confusing play that occurred, old uh, Roy found that he had recovered a fumble. Well, Roy then picked up that thing and streaked for the goal line. And he made a sensational run, zigzagging through a lot of different folks and uh, outrunning everyone to the goal line. There was just one minor problem. It was the wrong goal line. <laughs> and the wrong fans were cheering as he ran. And uh, Roy never lived this particular incident down. As a matter of fact, he earned the name Wrong Way Regals. What a title that he ended up with. And most of you here at Rancho Baptist know the Rancho Baptist mission statement by heart now, and it reads like this. It says, Rancho Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And though we know this mission statement, it could be, and it is, alarmingly easy to end up kind of like old uh, Roy Regals, knowing what we're supposed to be doing, but running the wrong way. And for that reason today, I want to look at what ministry, and specifically, what is discipleship? What is it all about? And in particular, I want to look at the passage of 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2, where the Apostle Paul re-emphasizes to his chief disciple, Timothy, what discipleship is all about. You know, all of us are called to be disciples and to make disciples, both of those things. And Jesus made this very clear in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 19, where he said, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heavens and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so if we're going to be involved in discipleship, then let's do it right. Just ask old Roy Regals about doing it right, and he'll tell you that that's the way to do it. Now, before we dive into this passage it's important to understand a little bit of background about what was surrounding it, and that's what I want to look at first. First, it's important to understand the relationship between the Apostle Paul, who was writing this letter, and Timothy, to whom the letter was addressed. Notice how Paul addresses Timothy at the beginning of this letter in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-2. through 2. He writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son. You see, there was a great deal of affection between Paul and Timothy, especially on Paul's part. Timothy was like a son to him. But the affection between them was mutual, because if you look down a few verses at, uh, at this, it says, and I constantly remember you, and this is Paul speaking, day and night, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy. And there was a real like-mindedness also between Paul and Timothy. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul says this. He says, Timothy, but I hope in the Lord 
to send Timothy to you shortly, the Philippians, for I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of Timothy's proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. You see, Timothy was Paul's most beloved disciple and in many ways kind of his soulmate. They really loved and cared about one another very, very deeply. And second, it's important to understand that Paul was in a very desperate situation as he wrote this letter. Most scholars believe that the Apostle Paul ended up twice in jail. Now, the first time he ended up in jail, he was kind of under house arrest. So he had a fair amount of freedom as he was under this this sentence. But the second time we see in 2 Timothy, we see that Paul is in prison, in chains, in a dark, dark, cold, lonely cell. And Paul also knew that he was going to be executed soon. In 2 Timothy 4, 6-7, Paul says this. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And lastly, it's important to understand Timothy's situation. Timothy, at this point, when the letter was actually written, was the young, kind of insecure pastor at the city of Ephesus. And that's one of the reasons why Paul wanted to write in this letter. And with all this in mind, Paul's purpose in writing this letter to Timothy is to re-emphasize what is truly important in his walk and in his ministry. There's a sense of urgency and importance in the letter Excuse me, because Paul knows this may be the last time he has the opportunity to speak to his beloved disciple and friend. And with this background under our belts, the big idea that I would like you to walk away with today is that we need to make disciples by God's grace using his process. We need to make disciples by God's grace using his process. Now turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and read along with me. And if you don't have a Bible today, you'll find that there's a Bible in the seat pocket in front of you. Now Paul says to Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, in verse 1 of this passage, we see the first part of the big idea, mainly that we need to be making disciples by God's grace. And I want to explore what this means. Paul starts out saying, you therefore. And whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, what's the question you should always ask yourself? What is the therefore, therefore? Well, the therefore is, uh, refers back to chapter 1, verse 15, and he says to Timothy, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are 
Phygelus and Hermogenes, whoever they were. But Paul wants to give instructions to his son in the faith, Tim, son in the faith Timothy so that he would never turn away like these folks did. You see, they had turned their backs on their brother Paul and walked away from him, and he wanted to make sure that Timothy never did that. And the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, so what is this grace that Paul is talking about? The word in the Greek means undeserved love and limitless kindness. And when we think about grace, we naturally think of God's grace extended to us as he saved us. And we just celebrated that very fact now in the, in the communion. But Paul himself reminds us of this, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. But in the passage we're studying today, Paul is exhorting Timothy to continue living on in that grace. You see, Timothy is already saved. He's already saved. But Paul is telling him to now live by that grace. And according to the text, where does that grace come from? <coughs> it's in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You see the undeserved love and limitless kindness that Paul is telling Timothy to appropriate every day is in Jesus. He's the source. The Apostle John tells us about how much of this grace abides in Christ. In John 1.14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is full of grace. And like a pot that is full to the brim, he is full to the point of overflowing. That's how much grace is available to us in Christ. And Paul also tells Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul is telling Timothy, be a muscle man in the grace that is in Christ. He is telling Timothy to exercise that grace, to work out with it, to develop muscles in dependence upon the grace of God. So putting all this together in everyday terms, what does it mean to be strong in the grace that is in Christ? It means, first of all, renouncing self-dependence. You see, being strong in the grace that is in Christ means that you are weak in self-dependence. It means that you depend upon the Lord's direction and power to obey Him and to do His will, not your own strength. And it's hard for me to stress the, to overstress the importance of this step in being a disciple. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You see, if we labor in the flesh and make disciples in the flesh, it will amount to very little. And second, it means that we are to trust in Christ's grace, his undeserved love and limitless kindness. It means that we seek Him and His direction in ministry. It means that we depend upon Him to pour out His grace upon us and show Himself powerful 
in the midst of our weakness, and he does. In a nutshell, depending on and trusting in God's grace is the key to powerful ministry. You need to become strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus and weak in our own strength. And the scripture tells us how we can get even more of this powerful grace. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us draw near to the, with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And the question, who's sitting on that throne of grace? It's God. It's Jesus. It's our great high priest, Jesus. So as we draw near to him, as we stay close to him, he gives us grace to help in a time of need. And in 1 Peter 5.5, he tells us, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we humble ourselves before God, he will give us grace. And humbling ourselves means that we confess our own inadequacy before the Lord and declare our dependence upon him. That's humility. And notice that being strong in the abundant grace of Christ is all about the relationship with him. That's what it's about. It's about abiding with him. It's about remaining in his presence. It's about being actively dependent upon him. And living in this grace is what empowers us to make disciples. That's why Paul told Timothy to be strong in that grace. And now that we've looked at the first part of the big idea in which Paul stresses to Timothy the need to make disciples by being strong, by being dependent upon God's grace, let's move on and look at the second part of the big idea. In verse 2 of our text, Paul instructs Timothy to make disciples using God's process. He says to Timothy, he says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now notice that Paul ties verse 1 and 2 together with the word and. You see, he's telling Timothy that you need to do both of these things. And he's saying, Timothy, if in your ministry it's critical that you renounce self-effort and become strong in dependence upon the grace of Jesus. But you also, Timothy, need to do ministry the right way. It's not one or the other, Timothy. It's both. So let's look at the process that Paul lays out for Timothy. First, notice that it's all about relationships. Discipleship done God's way is always about relationships. It's not about programs. It's all about people. Now, should we just take all of our discipleship-oriented programs and chuck them out the window? No. No. But emphatically, we can never lose sight of the fact that discipleship happens in the context of relationships. Discipleship happens in the relationships between Paul and Timothy, and Timothy and faithful men, and faithful men and others. 
And second, notice that in the discipleship relationship, there's content to be conveyed. It's not just about fellowship and, oh yeah, how are you doing, and all that kind of stuff. Paul tells Timothy to convey the content that he had heard from Paul to Timothy, to faithful men, and so on and so forth. And it's assumed that Timothy remembers what that content was, but based on what Paul taught, we can know that it centers around Christ and arriving at a deep, mature relationship with Christ. Paul says this in Colossians verses, chapter 1, verse 28. He says, And we proclaim Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And one mistake that it is very easy to make is to get focused on the structures we use for discipleship and not the content. You see, discipleship is not about being involved in this group or that group or participating in this structure. It's not even about completing some curriculum or even learning the Bible cover to cover. These are all means to an end. And the end is being transformed into the image of Christ. Now, don't ignore the structures of the tools. They're critical to accomplish the goal of transformation. But simply make sure that the tools of discipleship are always viewed as a means toward the goal of transformation and not an end in themselves. Now, third, notice who Paul told Timothy to get involved in discipleship. He said, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, the first qualification of the disciple is faithfulness. Now, does this mean you have to be perfect? Well, heavens no, and I'm glad it doesn't, or none of us would be able to do that. But it does mean that you have to be reliable. That's one of the meanings of that word faithfulness. And it means that you have to desire to live for the Lord, and your actions have to prove that you take it seriously. But if you are consistently living strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you're being faithful. You see, when you do that, you will rapidly grow to maturity in Christ. You will be developing a consistent, fruitful walk with the Lord. And the second qualification of a disciple is being able to teach others also. Now, does this mean that you have to be able to get up in front of a group of people and expound the scriptures? No, it does not. No, it does not. Notice what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 11. He says this, But you, Timothy, followed my teachings, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. You see, Timothy is being reminded that he essentially watched Paul live his life and then imitated him. You see, teaching involves walking the talk in full view of other people as they watch. And all of us can do that. We can all do that. You don't have to become a preacher to become a discipler. 
You simply need to live a biblical lifestyle by the empowering of the grace of Jesus. And fourth, notice that the process that Paul lays out contains a series of relationships where there are leaders and learners. Leaders and learners. In a diagram form, here's what the process looks like. In this passage, Paul says to Timothy, and the things which you have heard from me, Timothy, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, discipleship involves relationships of both giving and receiving. There needs to be both. You see, if you're just receiving without giving, you will stagnate. You'll become like the Dead Sea, which is fed from the Jordan River on the north, but it has no outlet. And the result is is that it is a stagnant body of water that nothing can live in. But if we're just giving and not receiving, we burn out. We become spiritually exhausted and we just kind of give up. Now please understand that this process was not one that Paul invented. He learned it from Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't try and reach the world himself. He didn't. Jesus invested himself in 12 people and more heavily in three and then sent them out to turn around and do the same thing. That is the Great Commission, in a nutshell, right there. And the question naturally comes up, well, why did both Jesus and Paul advocate this process of pouring your life into a few and then sending them out to do that? Well, let me go back to my little diagram and show you why. 2 Timothy 2.2 essentially lays out a four-generation process. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. Now let's assume for a moment that each one of these generations was produced over a one-year period, and that each one of these generations then began to turn around and began reproducing into another generation. At the end of 33 years, any guess how big the 33rd generation would be? Huge. Any guesses? Let me show you what the number is. You ready? After 33 years, 8.6 billion people. That's bigger than the current population of the world. Now, am I saying that solid disciples can be won and grounded and brought to maturity and sent out in one year? Probably not. Maybe two. Am I saying that the optimum number of people to pour your life into is two? No, it's probably more than that. But am I saying that any one of us in here in this room could turn the world upside down for Christ? Yes. That is what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. 
Do you want to devote your life to something really big? There it is, right there. There it is. That's big. That's why I've chosen to devote my life into investing in a few and sending them out to do the same thing. You see, it really doesn't take many people to turn the world on its ear. It doesn't. You just have to do it the way that God said to do it. So how do we get started making disciples God's way? Let me give you two suggestions. First, be a faithful man or woman. You see, faithful men and women have ceased relying on their own wisdom and have renounced self-dependence. In its place, they have begun to consistently rely on the grace of God, trusting His love and His limitless kindness that they are entirely adequate. And the process starts by confessing your self-reliance for what it truly is. It is sin. That's what it is. And confess it. And appropriate the Lord's forgiveness for it. And turn your back on it. And from there, all your planning and decision making needs to be done in dependence on God's limitless grace. You see, as you make decisions and plans, ask the Lord for His thoughts first. Ask Him to speak to you through His Word. And don't make any moves until you've heard from Him. You see, God wants you to do His will, so He will let you know what He wants you to do. And just make sure you put yourself in a position where you can hear God's voice and hear what He has to say to you. Being faithful is all about building a loving, trusting, dependent relationship with God. And this happens as you spend time with Him, as you seek to know Him through His Word, and as you communicate back to Him through prayer. That's what that relationship looks like. There aren't any programmatic shortcuts. They aren't there. You see, you have to spend time with the Lord. It's all about that relationship with Him that leads to transformation into His beautiful likeness. Now secondly, you need to be willing to commit to discipleship relationships, both giving and receiving. Just as being a faithful man or a woman is about living in dependent relationship to God, the second step is committing to relationships with other faithful men and women. Now this can happen in a variety of concepts, If any of you have children at home, that is your ultimate discipleship right there, is your kids. Those are the most important disciples that you could ever raise right there under your roof. Now, ideally, discipleship relationships begin as you see the Lord use you to bring people to Christ, and then they are trained up, and then you send them out. You see, this is the biblical model for discipleship, and this is where we want to head as a church. 
But there's also plenty of opportunities for discipleship relationships here at RBC. And we are committed to discipleship and to building this type of community where these opportunities are available. And remember, the relationships are both giving and receiving. Now, if you're a new Christian, they're primarily going to be in terms of giving because you need to get built up before you start, or in receiving before you start giving. But make no mistake, discipleship without reproduction is not discipleship. It isn't. Now, maybe you don't know where to start. And if that's the case, and you want to get started, I would encourage you to, out of the bulletin today, take your registration card and print your name and everything on the top of that registration card and print in the upper right-hand corner the word discipleship. And I would be very honored to get you on your way in the first step down the road to becoming and being and investing as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to close today with this comment by William Barclay. He said this. He said, It is one of the supreme handicaps of the church that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus and so few disciples. Will you commit yourself to being and making disciples? Let's pray. Lord, inspire, convict us today to be about the business of making disciples and doing it your way. Lord, we know it's all about building relationships both with you and with others. And we know that it's about living in utter dependence upon your grace. Do your mighty work among us by your Holy Spirit today. And Lord, cause us to step out in faith and obedience to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.